Welcome to the Straight Talk Physio Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Andrew Junak and Dr. Craig Giambattista. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the best exercise recovery and rehab tools of 2021. We're going to help you avoid buyer's remorse, and this is the second part of a two-part series. So we're going to go through a couple different recovery and rehab tools um, that we didn't get to on last episode. So Craig, kind of give us a little bit of a recap on you know, your thoughts on recovery tools in general for those who haven't tuned into the first one. And then we'll jump right into some of the things we're going to talk about today. Sure. So if you didn't catch our last episode, basically, we're just going through our list of things that we see out there that are marketed to do, you know, various things. And I think the things that we see the most are like uh, performance improvement, or like reduction of soreness, or, you know, fixing something. Like if you have a tight muscle, this will make it better. If you have pain here, this will make it better. You know, if you want to perform better, use this. I think there's so much information out there that it's hard to know what's good, what isn't good. And I mean, these are, you know, these are companies trying to make money. So of course that's their their number one main goal. So what we're trying to do is go through the most common stuff that we see and then just giving you, you know, our thoughts on it. And I would say for all of this stuff, you know, like we're speaking in like averages, you know, like is, even if we don't recommend something, you know, on the whole, like, is there one person out of a million that could benefit from it? I mean, sure. You know, I think the overarching thing we'll talk about here is, you know, it never hurts to try most of this stuff as long as you know what you're getting into. So I think that's the big point of our, our conversation. Awesome. So Craig, I'll let you get it started off with knee braces. Worth it? Not worth it? Where are we at? So I would say knee braces on the whole, my personal opinion, uh, I would say not worth it. Uh, current research out there right now is starting to show that it, it doesn't really provide like this. I think the average person, when you tell the knee brace, they think of something that is going to keep their knee, you know, for lack of a better word, stable. You know, like if something is going on at the knee, it's either going to like, I've heard patients tell me it's going to like unload it or it keep it stable, you know, like keep surfaces from running, rubbing together, uh, what have you. And I think the current research wouldn't really support that. Uh, I don't think they're like structurally speaking, discapable of it. And I don't know if it's an engineering thing or just the way we're built, but I would say that I would say is a little bit false. But what the knee brace can do is provide a little, what we call like proprioceptive uh, input to the knee. The, the simple way I can describe it is that if extra pressure or uh, force is kind of put around a joint, it just kind of think of it as like the brain is paying a little bit more special attention to like that area. And they're starting to see like maybe the brakes would do that. Um, so I think that there can be some utility there, which kind of brings it on to like, when should the brakes be used and when, and like, you know, what does it do? Like, what's the point? So post-operatively, I don't mind the brace. You know, I think that uh, in a lot of cases we don't need it, but I think the, the, the nice thing is it reminds people around you that you had surgery. Um, it reminds people not to like bump into you or that kind of stuff. It reminds you just to be careful, you know, with your, with your knee. Um, but if you're, uh, you know, just like a regular everyday athlete and you tweak your knee, I don't think you need to go to the store and, and buy one to, to create stability or anything like that. So I think the, and on the opposite end of, of injury, like, so, so like professional athletes or, you know, really competitive elite level people, if they get injured on the field and, you know, they're in the process of getting back to that high level activity and maybe mentally they think they need the brace or we think maybe having a brace for a little bit can allow some additional force on the knee, then, then yes. Um, but I would say that's a little more uncommon, but I think that, you know, there's both of those extremes that we, that we got to think about it. But for the average person, um, you know, average weekend warrior lifter, 
um, and you just tweak your knee or have some knee pain or have you know chronic knee pain from arthritis, I don't think you need a brace. Any thoughts on that one, Drew? Yeah, I'd agree. I think knee braces overall, um, you know, the, the utility behind them, I think is mainly right after surgery when you're trying to protect a knee um, or you're trying to keep things a little bit more stable. Knee braces that you're going to buy over the counter aren't going to provide that stability for you. Um, specialized knee braces that you get after maybe an ACL surgery or a PCL surgery or something like that, they're going to limit the amount of range of motion that your knee can go through. And they're going to have a couple other benefits as well. And they're going to have support where you need support specifically for your knee. But generalized braces that you're going to get over the counter um, for 15, 20, 30, 50 bucks, um, they're not going to do anything for you. Um, so it, it tends to be something that when people do get them, I find it's very hard to get them out of the knee braces. Um, and ultimately, what we really want is your muscles to do the work um, and you know to create a stable joint around those muscles. So it's actually more important that you start to remove yourself from the knee brace um, as you become pain-free and not use it as a crutch. Um, so I, I think I tend to find people have more of an issue once they start using knee braces for the long term because they get this idea that the knee brace is what's going to keep their knee from not hurting and they actually lose confidence in their own body and their own their body's ability to heal their injury completely. So they will continue to use a knee brace forever. Um, I just really don't think it's worth it. Yeah, I would agree with you. And there's even some specialty braces out there. If we got any listeners that have been, you know, battling knee arthritis for a while, there's like the medial and lateral unloader braces. I don't know if you've ever seen those, Drew, but uh, they kind of, their uh, uh, their claim is that based off the way this brace is oriented, they can take a little pressure off the, the inside or the outside compartment of the knee. Um, I can't say clinically that I've seen those utilized a lot. Uh, I have treated patients with it in the past and it can provide mild relief in some cases. And in my opinion, that might be just more of like a psychological thing. I'm wearing the brace and my knee is now feeling better kind of deal. I haven't seen enough research out there that would say like, yeah, like if you have, you know, medial knee compartment, you need to get one of these medial unloaders. I don't think that it's capable of, you know, distributing the force successfully in that way. Yeah, no, I agree. And then as far as our next one, the next topic we want to move on to is back braces. Um, so I'll kind of get us started here. I, I think back braces are super controversial. You'll see all kinds of people wearing them. You'll see um, people who are new to weightlifting wearing them because they're scared to, to bend over and pick something up off the floor. You'll see people in different work environments wearing them. Um, you'll see people who have had past back injuries wearing them. You'll see high level elite power lifters or CrossFitters wearing them. Um, so it kind of begs the question, like, what is it actually doing? What's the point of it? And, um, you know, when should someone use it? Ultimately, I'm not a big fan of back braces, especially for the general population. Um, you know, my reasoning behind it is, or in theory, a back brace is supposed to give you an ability to press out into it to almost create a hollowed core. So let's say you're going to pick something up off the ground and what most power lifters will do or people lifting like lots of weight is they'll wear a back brace. They'll tighten it up very tight. And then as they go to lift something up off of the ground, they will take this deep breath in, try to suck all the air out of the room, hollow out their belly. And then it will actually provide a force or a counter force for them to push against as they go to move the weight. Um, you know, so overall, I'm not a fan of these. I prefer for your body to be able to move the weight without the support of the brace. Um, you know, 
like I said, when most people use it is in jobs where they have manual labor. And then if they have a history of back injury, um, what we really need to consider here is, is if you think that you need a back brace to prevent your back from being re-injured or hurt again, I am more willing to say that you probably did not have a complete rehab from your injury and you're still left with fear and you were not fully taken to the extent that you should have been taken in your rehab to make you confident about how powerful and strong your back is. So I, I just think that at the end of the day, um, you know, if you still feel like you need to wear a back brace, your rehab um, or lack thereof, maybe you didn't do anything at all about it and you just waited for it to go away. Um, you're, you know, something else is keeping you from moving the needle forward and being pain-free. And the fact that you still feel that you need to use a back brace is again, it's very similar to the knee brace. It's, it's like a crutch in a way it's, you don't have enough confidence in your spine to do the task that you need it to do. Um, and that in and of itself, I think warrants seeing a medical provider skilled in rehabbing people with spinal conditions. So overall, I'm not a fan of the back braces. Um, for some really heavy lifters, you know, they don't, again, they're not using it because they have back pain. They're using it more as a cue, um, to be able to move more weight. And I guess in that case, that might be the special case where it's okay. Um, some back braces are warranted directly after surgery, um, per protocol. So that would be uh, a case where back braces may be, you know, warranted as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Craig? Kind of a loaded topic. Yeah, and like you said, it can go plenty of ways here, but I think I subscribe to the same theory that you do. So for like, you know, the average patient, average person, uh, and, and I mean, you hit on it just a second ago, but the key piece of education I use is, you know, what's the point of the brace? What is the brace doing? It's doing your muscles job for them. So if you can, you know, kind of visualize that if this brace is constantly being worn, your muscles are constantly not working. So what's going to happen next? Of course, you're going to lose strength and muscle mass. It's like kind of like you don't, use it, you lose it, uh, philosophy. Um, and I think that it, it is the one sticking point here though. It's all well and good to say, yes, your back needs to be stronger, but I think the hardest part, and I guarantee any listener that has back pain has had back pain in the past will agree with me here. It's like if the back brace takes, if it makes things less painful for the short term, it's really hard not to use it. Right. So you can tell people they got to strengthen as much as they want, but is, is it going to take their pain immediately away? Probably not. So I would say anyone, you know, anyone listening, the key is you got to think long-term and that can be hard when in the short term things are hurting, you know, but if you're continually using this back brace, you're just kind of band-aiding this situation until, you know, eventually there's going to become a point to where you're going to get so irritated that, you know, now you're essentially playing catch up. So that's something to think about. Um, but I totally agree with you too about the times that we would use it again, both extremes as before, sometimes after surgery, we just need to deload the area, like just typical surgical protocol. And then advanced power lifters, they're lifting so much weight and, you know, exercising at such a high level that they're just using the back brace as a tool to move this, you know, insane amount of weight. So that's, they're so far out on the spectrum that it just doesn't, doesn't apply to us regular folks. Yeah. If you're wearing a back brace to pick up a pencil off the ground, um, go see a provider. <laughs> we gotta, yeah, we gotta have a talk. Go see somebody or give us a call. Um, Craig, tell us a little about a little bit about cervical traction units. So I, I, I've had some patients who um, have come in with some neck pain, maybe pain radiating down the arm. Um, you know, in the clinic, they've responded really well to traction. Um, you know, have you found this to be clinically something you can, you know, dish out to a patient and have them get some relief? Or I guess what's your experience been with them? 
So in my opinion, cervical traction worth it for the right person. Super key for the right person here. Like if you just have chronic neck pain, like you've had neck pain for a long time, cervical traction is probably not what you want. There is a specific kind of neck pain with a specific set of associated symptoms that this stuff works really good for. There's some research to back it up. Clinical, clinically, we see it work. Um, and I think if you fall into that right subset, then absolutely. But if you're not, then no. Um, and so the big key here is like, how do I know if I am the person that needs cervical traction? Uh, you gotta see one of us, you know? Um, in the PT world, we're kind of experts at screening out for, you know, putting people in the subcategories of who's gonna benefit from what. And it's kind of our bread and butter to know like, yes, you're a good candidate for cervical traction or, or no, you're not based off these specific things. Um, from like a performance performance standpoint, I don't really see uh, like no. a utility here. You know, um, I'm trying to think of like, even like a far stretch for the use of it. And I can't see anything that would be worth it for, you know, in that respect. And then just kind of going a little further, we didn't really put this on our list, but it's worth mentioning because people will see this as well. If you see the cervical traction unit, they also make lumbar traction units uh, and not worth it in my opinion. Um, completely unable to put the adequate force even needed to do anything at your low back. Um, not really, uh, you know, effective per the literature or clinically that we see. So I would say just kind of stay, you know, keep your distance from that for the home lumbar traction units, but cervical traction unit, absolutely worth it for the right person. And that's, I think a little out of the scope of this podcast to say who that right person is. So, uh, it's, it's something that you need to get checked out and have like a medical provider say like, yeah, this is the appropriate thing for you. What about you, Drew? Is, uh, is that kind of in line with, you know, what you see, what you recommend? Yeah, I find myself prescribing it specifically to people that I find respond to um, different types of, you know, that fits a certain clinical criteria. And usually one part, one small piece of that is someone who responds to surgical cervical traction uh, positively. Um, then I'll, I have a very like cheap one that I actually recommend. That's about 15 to $20 um, that patients can do. And I'll have them do it for a short period of time. Uh, daily and it tends to help take my hands home with them but it's definitely one of those things where not everybody responds to cervical traction but the ones that do I do think it's worth it so um, you know if you're working with me or you know you're a patient you're working with Craig then it's totally worth it um, if we recommend it but if we don't recommend it and we're kind of you know you find us not even talking about it uh, it's probably because it's not something that's going to benefit you and as a patient like always ask you know like sometimes uh, it might not even be on the provider's mind like hey like is cervical traction for me, you know? Um, but this, I would say also another little caveat here, this is not something that you just go and buy and start hammering on your neck with it. Right. You know, like you can. some of the other stuff, like, you know, knee braces, uh, we're going to talk about exercise bands and hot packs in the past when we talked about like, uh, you know, like kinesio tape, massage guns, that all stuff, you can, you know, kind of try that at your own will, but this is something that I'm not going to do any damage with that stuff. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> this, that's amateur out. You know, but this is something I would say that like, you just don't just go buy one and start pulling on your neck. Um, you could do more harm than good. Yeah, absolutely. So what do we got next? So the next one here is the, is a lumbar support for a chair. So uh, kind of my thought on this is it, it's very similar to the traction component. It's worth it for the right person. Now, I know this sounds kind of counterintuitive and kind of weird, but there are some people who, if their back is put into more extension, like from a lumbar support where it provides more of an arch in your back, it'll actually make their pain worse. So there's actually certain people who probably shouldn't have 
excessive lumbar support in their chair. Um, but there's also a subset of people, I'd say majority of people will probably respond to um, respond well to having a good lumbar support in their chair. Um, as far as price points on these, you can do something as cheap as like rolling up a towel, like folding a towel hot dog style and rolling it up really, really tight, putting it in small of your back to create a lumbar support. Um, and I mean, lumbar supports go for anywhere from as cheap as a towel to hundreds and hundreds of dollars. There's a huge market for fancy ergonomic chairs that have all this, this lumbar support and put you in the perfect position. Um, I don't think you need all that. I think at the end of the day, you just need something that puts your back in a little bit of extension. Um, so, I mean, the price point can go from super, super cheap to very, very expensive. I, for my patients, I usually recommend them just use a towel. Um, it's the cheapest. They can put a couple pieces of duct tape on it to keep it from unrolling. And they got themselves a permanent lumbar support for, you know, under $5. Um, ideally what it does in general, like I said, it puts the lumbar spine in extension, um, which tends to be a little bit more favorable for a lot of people with back pain. But the people it's not favorable for um, should not continue to use it uh, because things they might find that it consistently agitates them. Um, and when this should be used, I mean, driving in the car, if you're sitting for prolonged periods of time, pretty much any time where you're, you're stuck in a seated position uh, for any length of time, especially if you're experiencing back pain. Um, if you're not really experiencing back pain, it's not necessarily something you'd need to have, but it's also something that it wouldn't hurt you to have either. Uh, Craig, how do you, what are, what's kind of your protocol with lumbar supports? Well, my big thing from like an education standpoint is, and we're kind of guilty of this, you know, like in the past, I think we use PTs and, and maybe even still, I'm not sure, are just kind of hammering on posture. Like what's your sitting posture look like? What's your standing posture look like? And people think that this lumbar roll is like the, uh, you know, like the gold, like the silver bullet for great posture. And I would say the more stuff I read, it's like, if you're having back pain, uh, like posture alone, isn't a good like predictor of back pain. So it's not like all people with bad posture and bad posture alone have an increased risk for back pain. That's not true. It's not like a single risk factor. Back pain is multifactorial. So if you're a listener out there that's like, yeah, you know, I do get back soreness when I'm at work. It's not like the lumbar roll is not going to like, it's not just don't blame it completely on your posture, you know? So there needs to be, you know, you got to kind of hit it for more angles. Like my exercise, my diet, my sleeping right. Okay. I'm going to add the lumbar roll in as well and work on my posture. It needs to be like that big picture kind of thing. Um, so I typically tell people like, it's like, they'll come in and say, well, you know, my back hurts, but I have, I slouch forward in my chair at work. Like that's probably it. And I mean, can it be a contributor? Yes. But is it likely like, you know, the only 100% sole reason? Probably not. I mean, are there people out there that I give them a lumbar roll and they feel better and feel better, you know, for the long term? Yeah. You know, but I would say that's not the, uh, that's not the, you know, the norm, I would say. Um, but I think that uh, just like all the other stuff we're, we're talking to you about today, give it a shot. Like it definitely isn't going to, you know, hurt to try it. Um, one other thing with the lumbar roll too, I typically tell people is treat it like insoles in your shoe. So let's say you got some brand new orthotics for your, uh, you know, for your feet, put them in your shoes, you wear them all day, your foot gets really sore. Well, of course, it's changed the position of your foot for the long term, you know, the orthotist or the person that made those for you might say, wear them in your shoe for maybe an hour, take them out. Tomorrow, wear them two hours, take them out, you know, a couple days later, three hours, take them out. So your body is going to get used to it because you've essentially changed your position. The lumbar roll kind of does the same thing. If you're not used to sitting up in the chair, uh, you know, for eight hours a day at work and you pop the lumbar roll back there and you start getting sore back, like 
yeah, I mean, of course, like you're now asking your, your back muscles to do way more work than they've done in, you know, could be up to years. So just kind of dose it in. Um, and like I said before, like is posture the be all end all for why you're having pain? No, but can it alter how you feel when you do have pain? Yes. So if you're having maybe a bad back day, can a lumbar support help in the short term? You know, I think it's, I think it's worth a try, but like Drew said, it's gotta be, uh, you know, it's kind of gotta agree with you just like a lot of the other things we talked about today. Awesome. All right. This next one, we're going to upset a lot of people, Craig. We're gonna, well, that's what we that's what we do here. We're, we're going to break a lot of hearts with this one. <laughs> we're going to break so many hearts. Um, the next one we want to touch on is fancy hot packs or ice packs. Um, ready, go. <laughs> Not worth it. Oof. Ice is cold as cold. You know, cold as cold. Ouch. Now I will. I guess the one little the one little thing I will say here is like some of those like gel ones like can form fit kind of nice those hard areas. You know, to like. Uh, wrap around if if i'm making a case here if i'm making a case are you here, making a like, case craig you know if if but if you are you going to spend 70 dollars on that when you can just get some peas and use an ace wrap you know yeah. like true story that's completely up to you you know like um, or like the ones that have like vibration and ice or like the <laughs> like i mean all this stuff and it just it doesn't make sense to me personally you know it sounds a little bit gimmicky but at the end of the because people ask me all the time should i use heat should i use ice you know all this and i think whatever works best for you. And as long as you're cycling it appropriately, like you shouldn't be wearing ice packs for three hours at a time. You can definitely give yourself frostbite from ice. I've seen it happen in the clinic, but you know, cold is cold. That's my number one thing. And I just tend to, I tend to leave it at that. What about you? Yeah, same thing. Um, I don't use them in my clinic, so I don't have any ice packs. I don't have any hot packs. If you go to a lot of like uh, traditional old school kind of clinics, you'll see they always have like, uh, like a, almost like a, container that contains a whole bunch of uh hot packs and they also have a freezer that contains ice and they'll they'll give you a bag of ice before you leave or something like that um it's just really not worth it it doesn't change much it, it doesn't alter the outcome uh, usually when people ask me should i use heat or ice i will tell them like whatever feels best for you um you know usually unless the injury is like super super acute in that way i will kind of be a little i will tend to lean a little bit more towards ice um but ultimately the research really doesn't support the use of either um, it, for changing an outcome. So usually I tell people do whatever feels best for you um, and go from there. So I don't have much of a preference. I don't tell people to go out and purchase any, any products in terms of hot packs or ice packs, because uh, I think that the influence that it has over the outcome is so small. And I think the, the real influence that we're going to have over the outcome is the different things that we do within our rehab that does not involve any sort of heat or ice in general. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think at the end of the day for me, um, especially working with the population that isn't like, you know, overly athletic or people that maybe they don't even like to exercise, you know, if, you know, there's going to be like that short term, uh, you know, a bit of pain relief. Um, I'll say, yeah, use heat or ice, but like, it's always followed up with that's not going to fix you. You know, like if, just like a lot of the other things we've talked about here, like if you understand that this is just relieving for the short term and, and that's kind of where it ends, then, you know, I think it's, it's appropriate to do it as long as you know, you know, what you're getting from it. Absolutely. All right, Craig, next topic. So we got, we got three more. So next one is going to be resistance bands and we can lump glute bands into this as well. So you got your typical like resistance pull up bands that you tie to something and you can do a whole bunch of exercises with. And then also your glute bands that are a little bit smaller, put them around your ankles or around your wrists. 
Um, you know, what are your thoughts? I love them. I think they're hundred percent worth it. Cause I think a lot of the exercises we prescribe or now like with quarantine and, you know, COVID going on, people aren't able to get to the gym. And I think there, there's like, you know, an infinite amount of exercises that you can come, come up with, with exercise bands. And, you know, it's low cost. You don't need a lot of space to use them completely simple, uh, to look up, you know, videos or do a virtual visit with one of us, you know, to, to work on this stuff. And, uh, I think that it's, you know, you get so much bang for your buck with these that I, I recommend them, you know, all the time. What about you? Yeah, same here. I think, um, resistance bands, they're one of those things that if you have a home gym, you shouldn't do without them. Um, I think the amount of flexibility that you can have and the time under tension that they can provide, I think is fantastic. I use them a lot in rehab. A lot of my patients end up just buying uh, resistance bands because I'll, I'll prescribe exercises that they can do from home. Now, most of my people are CrossFitters, so they have um, easy access to resistance bands anyway at the gym um, or whatever gym they go to since they're already active. Um, but a lot of times if they don't have resistance bands, they'll just purchase some of the ones I have. Uh, the ones I usually recommend are NT bands, I-N-T-E-Y, and they are through, I get them through Amazon. I think they're like 20 bucks and you get a pack of four or five of them, all different colors and resistances. Um, and then for glute bands, I usually use sidekick bands. Uh, they're actually my favorite because they're made out of like a mesh material. Uh, so for all you hairy guys out there with hairy legs, um, <laughs> these bands will not rip your leg hairs off. Uh, highly recommend the sidekick glute bands, but yeah. That's probably the most valuable piece of information we've given out. In the Honestly. Book. Seriously. That is, that is the nugget of information. That, you that product is hands down top notch. Highly recommend five stars. This is, this is one of those products that I don't say this often, but like splurging on maybe the little nicer expensive version might not be the worst idea because some of these can, like you said, they can be made of like mesh or felt or they could have like nice adjustable buckles and the, uh, you know, the rubber or the latex or the material, like if you are, looking into it and the materials like extra quality you get a little more life out of it like i'm okay with telling people like uh you know it's okay to to, to spend a little on these ones it's something that you use so much and it's it's so versatile and something that if you paid a little extra and get the quality i think could last for a long time so uh you know don't be afraid to to get the nice stuff with with these ones yeah so if you're gonna get resistance bands and you're gonna do it do it big do it up do it, big, do it up right so kind of in line with the resistance bands, our next one is the, the physio ball, Swiss oh. ball, exercise ball, yoga ball, you know, whatever you want to call it. It's the big inflatable ball, you know, and it's seen in pretty much every PT gym. Um, what do you think, Drew? Do you, uh, do you recommend these guys? Oh, man, this, one, this one's loaded. There's so many opinions about the physio ball. I think if you know why you're getting it, and I think this is, this is the key part of the physio ball. Cause I'm going to go on a limb here and I'm going to say it's worth it. Okay. And the reason I'm going to say that is because you have a lot of much like the resistance bands, there's a lot you can do with it. Um, you know, lots of different things. I, I don't think that the stability component of the ball where, you know, I used to go in the gym and see people with like 80 pound dumbbells and they're doing bench press on the stability ball to work on their core. Like I think that's a load of crap. Okay. I, I don't, I don't buy that. I don't buy the whole idea of like, oh, you have to stand on the ball to work on your core stability. Like there's a million and one ways you can, you know, work on your core stability. There's people who try to kneel on the ball, stand on it, play catch while they're standing on the ball. Like some of the stuff gets ridiculous. But that being said, I do think there's a lot of utility in it. Like um, especially in like the pregnant population, 
like my wife has used the, the physio ball for lots of different things. And it's been really helpful for her to move around um, and get in some good core work without being completely flat on her back, which is something you shouldn't do at certain points in the pregnancy. Um, I also think the physio ball is good for some other types of like stability training um, that don't involve like, like standing on the ball and heavy types of weight training, like planking um, on the physio ball with your elbows. Um, you can do lots of different core exercises with the physio ball. You can do lots of shoulder exercises with the physio ball, um, kind of laying on it to give you another type of support. So instead of having a treatment table, you can actually substitute a physio ball for like something to lay on to do exercises on your stomach. So I found that for people who have them, I can prescribe different types of rehab exercises, not necessarily utilizing the ball in any special way, but they're able to have more, just better access to different types of movements because they have a physio ball. So I think for the price point, it's worth it to have one in your house. Um, but overall, do I have one in my clinic? Do I use it daily? No. But if you have one at home, I think there's stuff that you can find to do with them. What do you think, Craig? Yeah. I mean, I don't really have too much to add to this one because I agree a hundred percent with everything that you said. It's a nice way to just mix up the exercise repertoire for a pretty low cost. Um, and like you said, there's some of those specific populations where it works really great for. And if you're, you know, if you're in that population, I would highly recommend it, but just for the average person, especially someone that isn't like, you know, their goal isn't to be a hundred percent into weight training. I think you can find some nice stuff that is just a little, it breaks the monotony of your regular exercise. So for that reason, worth it. Worth it. Easy enough. All right. Our very last one. And this is another one that's like highly controversial, very debated, um, depends on who you're talking to sort of thing. So this is going to be a fun one to talk about. I get this question all the time. Uh, orthotics. Yeah. Orthotics can be a tough one. And I think let's hit this from two different ends. So I'll talk about like, cause a lot of my patient population is like the average person, you know, like they might go to the gym on the weekends or they might not exercise at all, you know, and they have no desire to exercise. So I would just say the general, the average population. So I would say orthotics are something that I you need to go see a provider to know if you need them or not, you know, like not something I would necessarily recommend that like, Oh, my foot's hurting. I'm just going to go buy some orthotics, you know, or, uh, I'm going to try to run more. I'm going to just put some orthotics in my shoe. You know, I think I would be a little cautious there. Um, but if you are having like foot and ankle pain or, you know, let's just say anywhere from back pain, knee, hip, foot, ankle, toe pain, whatever, you know, like would, an evaluation to see if an orthotic is part of that equation to be valuable. I do think so. Um, so I think they have their place when the right provider tells you that you need them. Um, and then just taking it a step further, people always ask me like, do I have to get a custom orthotic? Like, do I need to have somebody make these for me or can I just get one uh, off the shelf? And I think the current research now will tell you that like, there's a couple special types of feet that absolutely benefit from custom orthotics. And that's not something as the patient that you would know. That's something that like a provider would say like, yeah, this is a job for a custom orthotic. I would say by and large, uh, a regular off the shelf orthotic works for most people. And when I say orthotic, I mean something that like, I recommend a couple brands um, uh, like uh, from like specialty running stores, I typically tell people to go to. I'm not talking about the Dr. Scholl's thing where you step on there and they give you a number, that's a load of crap, doesn't work. Um, or like those gel inserts. I'm talking about like typically like three quarter or full length orthotics with some type of arch support that can be kind of modified by us in the clinic kind of deal. Um, 
those ones I've seen people have a lot of success with. But again, it's got to be for the right person. It's it's kind of like the cervical traction unit we talked about earlier. It's not. I would be cautious of people just saying like, well, I'm going to just toss an orthotic in and just kind of see what happens. Um, but I would say for the average population, that's my typical advice. So if you're having any, you know, ankle, foot, knee, hip, low back pain, and you think it might be related, I, I would set up an appointment with a practitioner that's good at looking at movement. What about you, Drew? What do you see in like the, you know, the higher level community? I think in the higher level community, we start to see people who have already come in with orthotics um, just because they think it's going to help their performance or something like that. Um, so typically orthotics in general aren't going to really change your, your overall performance in sport. Um, you know, the one, the one caveat to that, or the one thing that I would say is a little bit different is if somebody has like, is very stiff into ankle dorsiflexion, they purchase like a pair of lifters, right? Because then it unlocks a new range of motion that they weren't able to get into. And then they're going to be in a better position to engage like their hamstrings and their glutes and their posterior chain during a lot of these lifts. Um, so I would say from that standpoint, yes. Um, from others, like let's say a patient comes in with plantar fasciitis or Achilles tendon pain or, or different things like that. I'm usually just treating them with just rehab principles and they don't have to go out and buy an external piece of equipment, like an orthotic or something like that to put in their shoe. So I'm under the impression and my kind of my stance on orthotics is you typically don't need them. If you don't have any pain while you're running or performing or um, training, don't spend money to get them, okay? Because you could actually give yourself some pain by putting your, your body in a different position and then loading it repeatedly. Like if you think in the way of a runner, um, how much load and volume they put through their, their lower extremities in just one run. Um, and if they don't slowly ease their way into orthotics and they put their you know whole lower chain in a different position for you know thousands and thousands of heel strikes, um, it can create some problems further up. So typically I tell people don't play around with orthotics um, and let's use that as almost the last resort. So we try our rehab stuff. If we're still not seeing anything, um, then let's look to orthotics and see if we can make a change that way. But first and foremost, let's not try to completely change the way your foot hits the ground um, to alleviate a little bit of pain temporarily. Let's see if we can get rid of the pain first. And then if that's not working, then let's look to plan B and look and see if we can uh, change the way your foot hits the ground and start playing around with other mechanics. Yeah. And I would say just the whole orthotic thing in general, I mean, the foot and ankle is so complex. Like when we're in weight bearing, you know, there's like so many things to, to look at it. If you're having foot and ankle pain, like it could be a problem at your hip, you know, for, and it's like, that's the reason you need to come and see someone that tends to be a little bit more of an expert in it. So that would just be my little, my little caveat when it comes to foot and ankle stuff. Awesome. All right, Craig, you want to wrap us up, uh, kind of conclude this podcast for us. What are some of the, the big takeaways here? So let's just uh, go through our list. We'll do a little too long, didn't read version here at the, at the bottom. <laughs> uh, so just starting from the first one, knee braces, probably not worth it. Not our favorite, unless you fit into that like post-surgical or elite athlete category, by and large, not going to likely provide the stability that you think you're getting from them. Back braces, just like knee braces, got to be a special person that we're going we're gonna to recommend it. But remember, back braces are, you know, doing your muscles work for them when in fact we want our muscles to be doing the job. So don't rely on back braces. Uh, cervical traction unit, if you fit in the right category, which can be determined by your healthcare provider, then absolutely worth it. But if you don't, 
not something you want to just go toss on and try. Uh, lumbar support for the chair or the lumbar roll. Uh, by and large, worth it. You know, something that's absolutely worth trying. Um, but again, it's got to be it's got to be right for you. Uh, the fancy hot and ice packs. Hate to do it, but probably not worth it. Uh, resistance bands, we're all about them. Buy them, spend money on them, use them. Not going to regret it. Physio ball, same thing. If you just want to mix it up, totally recommend it for a low barrier to entry cost. And then finally, orthotics, just like our cervical traction unit, great for the right person but a complex thing that you, uh, you know, you should see a healthcare provider before you start tossing in your shoes or, you know, seeing, is that even the, the reason why things are going on? Absolutely. That's a great recap, Craig. Um, I think all those things, you know, they all have their own utility. And the whole point of this podcast wasn't to say like, oh, don't go buy something. Um, it was basically to give you an idea of how effective is this stuff, who it works for. And um, at the end of the day, is it going to be something that you should even consider? Um, you know, all this stuff, it's all temporary solutions to a, you know, in most cases, a long-term problem. So don't purchase any of these products expecting it to be the magic bullet that takes away all of your symptoms. Uh, I know a lot of times that's how some of these things are marketed, unfortunately, um, but these people got to sell their products. So that's one way that they do it. Um, does a lot of this stuff have some utility and help in some way, uh, whether it's temporary pain relief or, you know, some sort of relief? Um, yeah, I would say so. Just know what you're getting yourself into. And that was kind of the point of this podcast. So with that being said, thank you for tuning into the Straight Talk Physio podcast. If you like what you're hearing, it would mean the world to us if you subscribe to this podcast on the Peak Physiotherapy and Performance YouTube channel. For more information about us, please check us out on Facebook at Peak Physiotherapy Performance and on Instagram at P3 Physiotherapy. For more information about Craig, you can follow him at Dr. Craig G underscore PT on Twitter and Instagram. If you have any topic suggestions, comments, or questions, feel free to email us at thestraighttalkphysiopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for watching and hope you have an awesome day.